You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Hey man, it's great to be together, guys. We missed you last week. We were uh, at a teacher conference in uh, down in Orange County, the Orange County building. It was really great. Uh, I saw Jaime Monteclero on the live stream. Uh, bus, you know, he was on there. Lots of comments. Maybe others of you were there. Um, uh, Mike, Mike Dunson and, uh, and and Devin Ketch were there with me in person, and it was a great, great time. I loved it. It's it's. Dusa was like, that's a little too much, because it would start every morning at 9 a.m. and about 9.30 every night, and it was just packed with just densely, some of it was like, you know, professor reading his paper. You know, it's that kind of a conference, but I, I just ate it up. I just loved it. But uh, my friend, my best friend Marshall was there for a little bit, and he, he did not like some of it. He was like, what is this? Let me out of here. I'm going crazy. But it was great. So we have a little recap video. We'll show you next week kind of what that was about. But... Um, as, uh, as Rhett mentioned, we are, uh, if you're new to the group or um, if you haven't been around, we are uh, going through a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and uh, we're, we're kind of studying this book in our small groups together. And it's not too late if you want to jump in with what we're doing. You can always kind of go at your own pace. But it's really about going deeper in your walk with God and going deeper, uh, digging down into some, we've, we've been hitting some pretty deep stuff, you know. Um, grief was this last week, um, and... Um, Talking about your family of origin, uh, talking about your authentic self—it's—it's it's pretty, you know. It's kind of one of those things that, you know, you don't really like to do it, but it's good. You know what I mean? It's like nobody's like, "Hey, let's have a party." Hey, let's throw on Schindler's List. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen that in a while. You know what I mean? It's like I'm glad I watched Schindler's List. Everybody should see it, but it's not like popcorn movie. You know, that's kind of the the kind of stuff we've been going through. But uh, this this week is. Uh, on stopping, uh, the, the art of st- learning how to stop, which is what Sabbath really means, just to, to stop and, and take a breath and have uh, the daily office, I'll explain, and uh, it's, it's part of the book, but, but uh, I'm going to kind of, uh, we're going to have a lot of scriptures on the screen, I just want to kind of give you, how does God feel about this concept of Sabbath and, and, and of rest, and as we, as we have been singing about. Um, who here is a science fiction lover? Okay, so a few people. Calvin, all right. So, you know, if you're a science fiction lover, especially if you grew up with it, isn't it funny to go back and look at some of the old, you know, a lot, a lot of the sci-fi movies that I grew up with, and some of you are older than me, you know, the year 2000, I mean, that was a big one, or, or the 2010, or what life would be like in 2020, you know? And uh, it's interesting to go back and watch those and see what they got wrong, you know? And, and what they got right. And, uh, you know, they always have flying cars, you know, that, that has not really happened, the flying cars thing. They always get certain things wrong. But uh, there's this book called uh, Margin that was written in the 90s that some of my content is coming from today. And uh, he talks about a prediction that turned out wrong. Listen to this. 30 years ago, and this was written in the 90s, Futurists peering into their crystal balls predicted that one of the biggest problems for coming generations would be what to do with their abundant spare time. I remember hearing this prediction often. In 1967, testimony before a Senate subcommittee claimed that by 1985, people could be working just 22 hours a week. Or 27 weeks a year. Or could retire at age 38. How did that turn out, right? Instead, 
I mean, I remember, uh, you know, I, I remember even just when the internet was new, and, and the internet is going to save so much time, or email. You know, with email, it's going to save so much time. Because you don't have to write letters, you don't have to, you know, go to the mailbox, you know, email is going to... Has email saved time in our lives? No. No, it's like you can always be working, right? And, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, life is just, can, can really be crazy. Life can, in, in, our, in our day and age, can be, have no margin, no space. Uh, we can just fill up every little bit with, with work. And, uh, you know, before we went in the ministry, I remember my office job working 50 or 60 hours a week. And, uh, you know, that was just normal in my office. And then being in the ministry for 22 years, you know, you you never really leave your work. That was one thing about my old job is, like, I didn't really care that much if the whole place burned down. You know what I mean? I, 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 I was grateful for the, but it wasn't like a wonderful company that was changing the world. It was just, they're just trying to make money for these rich guys, you know, like, and I'm glad to have a job, and I was really grateful for that, you know, job I had for six years. But, but the the church is not like that, <laughs> you know. I do not go to bed going, oh, who cares what happens to the church? Like this is my family. You guys are my like, it, and so it's consuming. So there's no kind of escaping your job uh, when you're in the ministry. It's just all the time. I'm really grateful for it. But you know, but whatever your, your you know your situation is, you probably know you've got, you know, there, there's no shortage of things to be done. And uh, if you, those of you who are parents, you know that parenting is never over. And I remember Dust and I dry, on a on drive, and we had the three kids in the back seat, all in their, uh, all in, in in booster seats at that time. You know, you have the the phase you go through, and they were all screaming, uh, you know, all crying. And Dust and I looked at each other, and we just started laughing, and we were like, "What did we do? <laughs> you know, what did, what did we do?" But, uh, but, but what, what, uh, in, the, in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book, he, he, I want to read you a quote. He says, many of us are overscheduled, tense, addicted to hurry, frantic, preoccupied, fatigued, and starved, starved for time. Cramming as much as possible into our to-do list, we battle life to make the best use of every spare minute we have. Yet, not much changes. Our, overproductive, our overproductivity becomes counterproductive. We end our days exhausted from work and raising children, and then our, quote, free time on weekends becomes filled with more demands on an already overburdened life. We listen to sermons and read books about slowing down and creating margin in our lives. We read about the need to rest and recharge our batteries. Our workplaces offer seminars on increased productivity through replenishing ourselves, but we can't stop. And if we aren't busy, we feel guilty that we waste time and are not productive. We go through the motions of doing so many things as if there is no alternative way of spending our days. It's like being addicted. Only it's not to drugs or alcohol, but to tasks, to work, to doing. Any sense of rhythm in our daily, weekly, and yearly lives has been swallowed up in the blizzard of our lives. I thought that was said so well and just so describes our world and so describes many of us. Definitely has, describes how I can live. And all of us, the fact is, though, all of us have limits. And if you live right at the edge of your limit all the time, you're just going to end up hurting yourself. And, and you end up you know, not living the, the, the way that God designed you to live. God has always wanted his people to have margin in their lives. You might not realize that. But from the very beginning, when God established a, piece, a people for himself, he wanted that people to have margin. So the book of Genesis... Um, 
I'm going to sh show you a, a scripture here from the book of Genesis here in a minute. Uh, Genesis 2.3, it says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. The context of this is what? The creation story. It's God creating the heavens and the earth. And when God did that, uh, when, God, in, when God gave that story to his people, they had just come out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And they were on their way to the promised land, and through Moses, God uh, explains to them how they fit into the story of God's creation. And, and rather than what they had been told, I mean, picture life as a slave in Egypt. You are literally what you do. I mean, the only value you have is the number of bricks you can produce. And, and there, there is no, uh, you know, work week. It's just always working. There is no day off. You know, you're, you're, you're a slave. You're, you're, you're uh, building the pyramids, you know. That was what their ex lived experience was. You are what you do and you are what you produce. And so I think God was trying to tell them that they, they are not that. They are loved for who they are. They are part of God's good creation. And God himself is a God who knows when to stop that God stopped creating. And, and he purposely tried to set them an example that he, 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 he built this amazing universe, but then he rested. Did he rest because he was out of energy? Did God rest because he, you know, he ran out of creation units? No, he did that to show us that, that we, you know, it, it's okay to stop. It's okay to, to pause. And, and we need, in fact, uh, to do that. You are not a human doing you are a human being. And that's what God was trying to show us. And, and there's a lot of great stuff on this in the Bama podcast. I know I make commercials for that all the time. But especially that first, uh, the, the you know, kind of first season where they, they go through Genesis. There's so much in Genesis. I, 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 I went into it skeptical, you know, because as Western thinkers, we think Genesis is about how God did it, how God made the universe. And it's about you know, uh, the, the days of creation, and, and we try to make it scientific and all that. And, and I, at the end of, of really the, looking at it from a, an Eastern perspective and, and what the text is really doing, it's, it's this beautiful, it's so much richer. It's this beautiful, wonderful poem uh, that where God is, is showing what he values, and a lot of it is he values rest. And it's all kind of framed on that, the, the seventh day, and, and even the, the way that it goes evening and then morning, so the day starts with rest, evening, and then morning. And then the, the, on the seventh day, there is no refrain about evening and morning. So it's like that rest continues. And anyway, there's a lot of great stuff in, in the Bama podcast about Genesis. And much has been written about that. But when God, uh, again, establishes people, they're coming out of Egypt. He's giving them uh, his value system now. And he's making this culture, this new culture. He builds rest into his uh, into his law, into the society he builds. Look at the Ten Commandments and uh, just see what stands out to you. The bullets, each bullet is a, ten, is a commandment. And uh, do you see, like, does it seem like God put a little more attention into any one of those? You know, the Sabbath day, is it's right there in the middle, and look at how much text is on that one. There's a lot more text on that one. The longest and most specific of the Ten Commandments is that one. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So there's a principle. When, when we talk about Sabbath or following the Sabbath, I know there's a lot of building on this principle. Uh, there's a lot of Jewish tradition and then a lot of rule keeping, a lot of law keeping. As, as it turned out, you know, over time, the Jews had 6,000 rules. 3,000 of them revolved around the Sabbath. So would you say Sabbath was an important thing for the Jewish people? Um, and, and so when I'm talking about Sabbath, I'm not talking about a new rule that you have to follow. I'm not talking about, you know, you know, uh, I'm trying, not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to say God has something he wants. There's a principle he wanted for his people. And I think that principle would still apply to us even in the new covenant. Even as Christians, there's a principle of this, of, of, of rest, of stopping working. There's something in us that just wants to keep going, keep going, keep going. And it takes self-denial even to stop and to pause, uh, even on a daily basis. And this is not just a little bit in scripture. I, we, we, I'm going to show, show you a few. You know, this is the next uh, book of the Bible, uh, or three, two books later, uh, after Genesis, Genesis, Exodus. We looked at an Exodus passage. This is Leviticus. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly. You're not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath day to the Lord. Observe my Sabbath, Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And then the next book, Deuteronomy, uh, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. It's kind of a continuation of what we just read. It's, it's very similar to the Exodus passage. And then in the prophets, uh, the Sabbath is talked about a lot. Uh, Isaiah says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honorable, if you honor it by not going your own way, uh, you know, he says, you're going to be blessed. And uh, Ezekiel says, follow my decrees, be careful to keep my laws, keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between us. You know, God is wanting to communicate something, again, to his people. You are not what you do. You're not a human doing. You're a human being. Uh, one more uh, here I want to show you. Actually, I don't need to show you that one. I'll show you that later. Um, so so do, are you convinced that, that God wants us to rest I mean, and there are many, 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 many more passages on this. And, and when Jesus, Jesus affirmed this, he, he, you know, he's criticized because he's healing somebody on the Sabbath. He's criticized because his disciples are walking through a field and they're getting little bits of grain and, and chewing on them. And they're like, oh, you're, you're harvesting on the Sabbath. You know, that, so he gets this, this criticism. Um, but his, his response is, Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for man. People were not made for this. Like, the Sabbath isn't supposed to rule over us. The Sabbath is, a, is there for us to enjoy. It's for, it was made for us. God wants something for us. And uh, so I'm, I'm really become more and more convinced of this through, through studying this, that, that we should have this principle of you need to take a day where you don't work. You need to take a day a week where you are not trying to, to get your to-do list done, where you just try to do nothing. And, and the, the case that is made in the book for it, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he does a much, much better job than I do of, of giving you all the practical reasons why and, and what you can do on your day off and how you should do it. And So if you haven't read that chapter yet, that's what we're going to be going through this week. But again, God wants us to stop and pause. Even, even the land is supposed to be rested. Look at... Uh, what he says in Exodus, he says, You shall sow your land for six years, gather it in its yield, but on the seventh year you should let it rest and lie fallow. 
so that the needy of your people may eat and whatever they leave, the best of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. So again, these are people who, their livelihood is working the land. They're, li- they're farmers. And yet he says that land, once every uh, six years, you need to let that land rest for a whole year. And don't work that land. Let it lie follow. Now, years later, uh, scientists find out, you know what, this is actually needed, you know, because if you don't do that, you're just going to burn out that land and it, you're not going to be able, it's not going to be useful anymore. So let, this is a scientific thing that the people had no idea. For them, though, they're just like, wow, are you kidding me, God? I have to, like, I can't use my land for a whole year? I mean, imagine if God said that, you know, your car, your car works hard for every six years, you got to give your car a break. Don't use your car for a year. You know, wait, what? You can take the bus. You can figure out other ways to do it. I mean, that, that's, that's not, that is, doesn't even compare to how, what an impact it would have had on these people's lives, uh, this principle of it. They also had the law of gleaning, which is, uh, oh, this is uh, more about this, the land, uh, the law of gleaning. So that's when you harvest. He says, don't go, don't harvest all along the edges. Don't try to get every little bit of your, your field. Don't pick up what the harvesters drop. Like, let them go through and harvest, and then whatever they, they drop, just leave it. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines. Do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So God didn't want us to try to get every little bit of productivity. He says, just you know, leave some room, like leave some margin in your life and, and don't try to, to get every little bit that you can possibly get out. Uh, so if we, if we don't do all we can do, well, how, how are we going to survive? That's where God fills in the excess. That's where God fills in the rest. When we, there's space, we leave space in our lives, God can fill that space. If we don't leave any space in our lives, you know, God, God's not able to be present with us, or, or he, we don't allow him to. We don't allow him that space. God is the author of life and the creator of, our, of the universe. He can give us what we need, but he's trying to get us to trust him. Uh, when there, what is life like when there is no margin, where we try to get every little bit of time used and every little, as much productivity? There's, it just increases our stress levels. Uh, we, we, we've all felt this, you know, just that running late, feeling, you know, because we try to put too many things in. Um, our focus gets so narrowed. It, it's kind of like, like if this is, let's say this is a, the edge of this stage is a cliff that goes off to, you know, an, an, a bottomless pit, you know, and if you're living life right here, you know, you're not going to die, but it's, you have to really pay attention to every little thing you're doing because oh, yeah. it's just right there. Yeah. And, and just right on the edge. And that's the way a lot of us live our lives, though, is just like right to the edge and then just, but, but it takes so much focus instead of back, live your life back here. You know, you can relax a lot more margin. and uh, put some margin into your life, you know. Why do we do this, though? Why do we, because is it just me or do we all try to do too much? Uh, you know, raise your hand if you try to do too much. Okay, so I've got some companions in this. I'm speaking to you guys at least. Why do we try to do too much? I think, uh, you know, we might say, well, it's the industry I'm in. It's the season I'm in. I know for myself, a lot of times it's like, well, when I just get past this, when I just get past this, when I just get past, you know, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the stage stage in life we're in. Or maybe we just say, I just lack discipline. I mean, I would like to be more disciplined, but I, I just lack discipline, so I end up trying to play catch up all the time. But I think there's a more fundamental thing. I think what drives us is fear. 
I think it's fear. It's fear of missing out, uh, fear of falling behind, uh, fear of what will happen if you disappoint people. Uh, I know for me, that was one of the biggest revelations for me going through emotionally healthy spirituality is looking at, there, there was a chapter on being your authentic self, and it talked about Jesus and how many people Jesus disappointed. And it goes through like Jesus disappointed his mom, his family, his brothers, his disciples, everybody except God, Jesus disappointed. And, and I, you know, it really hit me like, I just hate disappointing anybody, you know, and so... I, I live my life too much for the approval of others. And I have to be okay with, like, me and God, and sometimes people are going to be disappointed, you know. And uh, that was hard for me because I have fear, right? And, and, uh, and so the Bible is this ongoing conversation God has with his people about choosing faith or choosing fear. And I think the whole idea of Sabbath is choosing faith, choosing to trust choosing to rest, choosing to be still. Do I have a scarcity mindset where, like, I... You know, it's a, it's a zero-sum game, and I've got to get all I can. Or do I have an open-handed, open-eye, you know, a, a good-eye mindset? God is good. His creation is good. He's going to take care of me. I don't, you know, I can rest. I can trust in him. That's a, that's a very different kind of perspective, and that, I think that's the perspective God wants us to have. And it's consistent with what Jesus said. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5? Uh, Matthew 6, rather. Don't worry about all these things, these things that we worry about. Don't worry about all these things. And this is Matthew 6, 31 through 34. I think we all know it well. What do we eat? What do we drink? What does he say? Who, who, who's don, who, who thinks about all those things? Who does he say runs after all those things? The pagans, right? Or the unbelievers. These things, this translation says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Do we really believe that? And even, I think, even in our our fellowship, or even in in the way that we talk about seeking first the kingdom, sometimes seek first the kingdom is you got to do stuff, right? What are you not doing? And, 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 but if you look at what Jesus is saying, I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying you're not doing enough. You got to do more of this. You got to do the kingdom stuff, not do the other stuff. I think he's talking about a perspective. Like I want to be in God's rule. I want to be in his reign. I want to trust in his kingdom. It's, it's a letting go, right? It's, it's, it's a mentality of going, I'm going to put my trust in what really matters the most. And, uh, it's, it's a matter of where's your investment Where's your hope? Where's your focus? Where's your mental energy? Where's your source of fulfillment? Is it kingdom or is it all these other things that people are running after? Um, I've shared this analogy before, but it's been a while, so I'll share it again. Uh, When Cora was little, she had a birthday party, and we had a pinata, kind of like this. And, um, you know, we were in the backyard, and, uh, you know, the pinata was was hanging down from the balcony. And, uh, you know, all these kids are... are, uh, you know, taking turns hitting it. I know, like you guys have never heard of a pinata before. I'm explaining it to you. <laughs> but uh, anyway, anyway, eventually, what happens? Somebody hits it. All the candy goes falling down in the backyard. And 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 apparent that the, the thing you're always trying to hope is nobody gets hit by the stick. You know, <laughs> grab the stick. But all the kids, they rush right. They rush the candy. And uh, 
inevitably there's some kid or a few kids that don't get any candy, you know, because, and this was a big party, so these kids are all, and they're fighting and, you know, they're trying to scrape and get every little bit of candy off the, out of the grass. And, uh, you know, I think it was Cora, in my memory it's Cora, but she's just crying and crying because she didn't get candy or much candy. It's her birthday. But, but as a parent, you know, you, you, put, you put candy in the, in, the, in the thing, in the pinata, but you also have a whole other bag of candy, right? So you, in your mind, you're like, don't be so stressed because I have plenty of candy for you. Like, you're going to get candy. And, and, and I... You know, it, for me, it was an analogy of how so much, much of us live our lives is I got to keep up. I got to get the candy. I got wait. She's got more than me. It's not fair. And we're scraping and we're, you know, we're so anxious and so worried. And God is standing there with this huge bag of candy. Like, I got you. Like, don't worry. Stop being so anxious and stressed. How can we develop this level of trust? I think it takes practice. It takes practice being still and stopping. And, uh, you know, in the book, he says, at the heart of the daily office and the Sabbath is stopping to surrender to God in trust. At the heart of the daily office and Sabbath is stopping to surrender to God in trust. And so the daily office, if you're not familiar with this, is just taking time throughout the day, either two times or three times, to stop and take a couple minutes of silence, have a little time of reflection, and then a, few mo- a couple more minutes of silence and uh, this is, you know, in addition to whatever kind of other disciplines you might have of quiet time or going, I like to go on a prayer walk or whatever you like to do with God. But just this, this is new for me, this idea of set my stopwatch and, and stop and try to not do anything for two minutes. And um, how is it going for you guys? You know, are you enjoying it? Are you f- f- stressed out? About it? I mean, Dessa, and I, Dessa has had this, this, we've had this kind of ongoing conversation because at first she's like, I'm, I, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, what am I supposed to be getting out of this? What am I supposed to be thinking? I'm just thinking about not thinking. And it's like, like what, what is this for? And um, so I get that. Like, it's, it's kind of, and I, I was sort of frustrated at first, but I'm learning to like it more. It's so hard for me just to stop for two minutes. Like, in this daily office, you have the two minutes, and then you have the devotional, and then you have another two minutes. That second two minutes, I skip all the time. I just... I, I don't, I'm like, oh, I'll do it later. I'll do two minutes. Like, like, I can't spare two minutes, but that's the way I feel. Like, I can't stop for two minutes, but it's so hard to just sit there and be still for two minutes. But I'm like, this is good for me, God, just to make me just stop, because uh, it's hard. And I'm, I'm hoping I'll really learn to like it. Like, I remember being in college, and the, the dentist would try to get me to floss, and I hated flossing so much. And my teeth, my gums would always bleed. Now, you know what? I like flossing. I actually enjoy it. So it's only took, you know, 30 years or something. But I actually enjoy. So I'm hoping that after I practice this two minutes for a while, I'll start to really enjoy it. And, uh, but uh, what are some, you know, what are some things you guys are getting out of that time? Let's just open it up for a second here. Raise your hand, you know, those two minutes. Steve? For me, I just, uh, I've been doing well with it. It took a while. Okay. Yeah. I enjoy it. That's good. Who else? What are you guys getting out of Andy? Yeah, I'm really challenged to do it during my work day. So 
Yeah. It really is like, do I really trust you, God? Can I take five minutes? <laughs> That's right. And, you know, so many things are, you know, clamoring for attention at work, and I'm trying to cram them all in. And, and it's really, I mean, it is a test of my faith every day to say, am I going to do this today? Yeah. That's great. Brock? It's hard. But it is getting easier. If you just do it, even though yeah. you don't feel like you did it very well, yeah. it's still bringing you down more than you were. So it's, it's kind of like a, working out a new part of your body that you're like, yeah. what? How? I, you know, I have this thing of P90X where I'm like this, and it's supposed to go like that, and I'm like, what in the world? How? <laughs> so hard, and the girl on the video, her, her leg is like going up in the air, you know? <laughs> what in the? But it's getting easier, right? It's a new muscle I'm trying to figure out. Jessica. For me, um, I find that it is hard to do the first two minutes. Uh-huh. I want to get right into it. Um, and it's been, like, sad, like, hard emotionally, like, in my feelings. Mm. Um, so I find that I avoid it sometimes. Okay. Because I know that I don't want to sit in the underneath. Mm. Wow, okay, I appreciate your vulnerability. So it can be hard even just because you got some emotions that you're dealing with. Richard. <laughs> okay, you get lost in it. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Say, say it again. I was going to agree with this point. It's like easy, but I think the hard part is the fact that like when I stop looking, I start getting lazy. <laughs> okay. So, so it's like I want to keep continuing because I don't want to start getting lazy. Right after okay. So you don't want to get lazy. Yeah. That 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 uh, that 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 can can be real. Like you can can be like, well, maybe I'm gonna like this too much, and then I'm never gonna work anymore. <laughs> you know, just, um, so so uh, you know. I, you might have your, I know Steve mentioned, here am I, Lord. The, the idea is you, you have some kind of thought that you reflect on. I just want to give you a few other ideas you can use, you know, that he gives a few in the book. But, you know, some of the ones I've been using, um, you know, there, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's an old, an old, uh, very old prayer that's good. It kind of puts you in the right place, you know. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you feel his mercy when you, when you just sit and reflect on that for two minutes. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You know, from Steve's lesson the other day uh, about Samuel. Just if you want to really be with God, um, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. I love having that in my mind, just a, a worshipful uh, thought and, and just honoring God. Here am I, Lord, Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Elijah. You know, that's the simplest. Here am I, you know, uh, Lord. How about thank you, God, or guide me, God, or hear me, God, or help me, God, or be with me, Lord. You know, there's a... A song that has that refrain, uh, but but for me, I notice uh, I notice my own heartbeat. You know, I'm like I never noticed my heartbeat before. <laughs> you know, notice my own breathing, uh, notice the you know the the sounds, the ambient sounds in the room. I I notice just gravity. You know, I notice the weight of my body. And you know, uh, my own smallness uh, in this universe. And uh, and then a lot of times I do I do get ideas. I feel like. Uh, maybe the spirit is prompting me with things or, or things will come to me, uh, you know, in that moment or 
you know, I experience the presence of God um, in these times sometimes. And, and, and uh, maybe, you know, not an audible voice, but I, I feel like he's here with me, or I, I'm, I'm aware of his presence. And um, even just this last week, just to share a quick story about how this helped me, um, you know, I, I, I was at the teacher conference. I saw somebody there who I had had a, I wouldn't say necessarily a conflict with. It was kind of a, a frustrating interaction. We're going to talk about that next week, the, those kinds of things that happened in our human lives. And, you know, over the holidays, this person had used kind of what I would consider a manipulative political technique to get what he wanted, and it kind of it really bothered me. And um, uh, But I, I tried to let it go, and, and I was like, it's not that big a deal. It's not somebody in our ministry, so, so you know. Um, <laughs> But I, I, you know, I let it go, and I thought, okay, well, it's not a big deal. But then I saw this person at the conference, and when I saw, you know how it is when you have something with somebody, and you see them, and then it's just, it's boom, it's just there. And, uh, you know, so, so then I saw them, I was like, should I talk to them about it? And then that night, you know how when you have something like that, and you're trying to sleep, and then you can't sleep because you just keep thinking about it? And it's not even logical thoughts, you know, especially if you are sleeping, and then you wake up, and then, and then you're just caught in this. And so I was, like, awake for an hour just thinking about this. And then I was like, you know, I should try that silence and stillness thing. <laughs> you know, I should try that. So I did. You know, I, I just set the, uh, the thing for two minutes, and I was like, I'm going to read one of the daily offices. But you know, even just those two minutes, uh, I, I just stopped my thinking, because your thinking goes on a train, and it's just going, going, going. Just stopping and just focusing for two minutes. I really, honestly, I felt like I heard God say, or I heard the voice of Jesus say, uh, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because this person, they don't even probably know. Like, they, they just, they're just, uh, they just, anyway. And so, so, so I just, I heard, I heard that, I heard Jesus, and I was like, I don't even have a reason to be offended. It's not that big a deal. And then how many people have I offended or hurt or bothered, you know, I don't even know. Like, how, how many people has my sin affected and I don't even know about my sin? Or how have I profited from the, the hardship of others, or even the clothes I wear, like, I don't know, I mean, I'm learning more about, like, where they were made, and the conditions that people were in when they were, those, you know, and, like, and I'm here, you know, oh, I got a good deal at the Gap sale rack, or, you know what I mean, like, I, I just don't even know, I, my, my point is, I'm unaware of all the ways that people are hurt because of my actions, and so I just need to let it go, and, uh, and, and it, it was like it was totally released from me, and then I just went to sleep, you know, and it, and, uh, you know, maybe I will talk to that person at some point, uh, but I didn't feel that, ah, uh, you know, that I felt. It was just gone completely, just from that two minutes of stopping. Yeah. I was like, wow, this really works, you know? So hopefully you have some experiences like that. But, uh, you know, again, just to wrap this up, in order to live the life of faith, to live a life of trust, we got to, I think this is something that can help us to trust God with our time and trust him with our schedule, to, to learn to stop, to learn to take a day off, to learn to have margin in our lives, to learn to create space uh, for God. And I'm going to send you guys some, uh, I'm not going to put them on screen because there's just so many of them and I don't want to stress you out with some good uh, practicals, <laughs> but there's some great, great practicals from the book Margin. But it, And it's about with possessions and finances, with your peace and atmosphere, with uh, just a lot of really, really great uh, practicals that I was like, oh, these are so good. I want to send them to all you guys over to CCB. So if you're not on CCB, if you don't get the emails from the church, make sure you see Jen out there in, in the uh, lobby and get signed up for our email list. But I'm going to email that out today. Amen. It's a list of a whole bunch of great proct- practicals from this book called Margin on just creating space and allowing 
uh, allowing ourselves not to, 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 to be so caught up in what the world's caught up in, but living a life of trust instead. Uh, you know, if we don't do all we can do, then there's a gap. And who will fill that gap? God. You know, God will be in that space uh, and, and, and trust. This prepares us for the crisis moment. So, like, even if you're not in crisis, if you learn this habit of stopping and trusting, then when you are in a crisis moment, you know, you're way more prepared to handle that and because you've learned that discipline of trust. And uh, look, G- Jesus is, of course, our perfect example of all of this. Perfect balance of taking, he took time to be, to go to quiet places, often withdrew to lonely places where he prayed. When he was facing the cross, he goes, gets away with God and, and tries to have time and quiet with God. Um, he's our example of trust. And as we take communion together, I want us to look at him, our, our example of trust. And in and, and 1 Peter 2, if you turn over there in your Bible with me, 1 Peter 2, 21. It says in verse uh, 21, 1 Peter 2, 21, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So the example, you know, the context here, the example is, is suffering. When we suffer, when it's unfair, like we have a harsh master, we have an unfair marriage situation, we have, you know, a relationship where we're, where we're suffering and it's not fair. Um, how do we handle it? He says, Christ gave us an example of how to handle things like that. Things where, where, where it's not fair, where it's dark, or where we don't have control, or uh, where, where what we do, you know, when nothing makes sense, what do we do then? Uh, when we feel like God is not answering us. I mean, and God was not answering Jesus' prayer, right? He said, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And so when, when we're in that situation where we have to trust, what did Jesus do? In verse 22, he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. What does that mean? He, he didn't try to take control. He didn't go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this right. I'm going to return an eye for an eye. I'm going to give them back what they're doing to me. Like he, he's, he didn't do that. He didn't respond in kind. He, instead, it says, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 23, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus said, God is outside of this situation. He's bigger, and he is able to handle this. And so that's what we have to do when, we, when we're in those situations where we don't know, you know, where, where we have to trust, we have to have faith. We follow Jesus' example of entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly, believing that God is a just judge, and God will make things right in the end. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the, Christ, on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There Peter is quoting the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. Jesus embodied the suffering servant. He, he became this offering for us, for our sins. And, uh, and we can follow in his footsteps and trust God that God has a bigger plan in, in what he's doing. And follow Jesus in his example of trust in God. Amen? Let's pray for communion. God, we just want to acknowledge that we are so often uh, people of fear. And uh, people who are consumed by worry or uh, the fear of missing out or the fear of not keeping up. Or um, the fear of what people might think. Or uh, just the fear of what will happen if we don't keep producing. 
Um, God, help us to let go of those fears and help us to learn to trust in you. Um, God, even when, when we're enduring pain or enduring hardship or enduring suffering, help us to look at that example of Jesus and how he entrusted himself to you entirely and help us to trust you. Not saying that sin is okay or injustice is okay, or, uh, but Father, help us to, to let go of what we can't control and to just trust you with the big picture and to find peace in that and help us to make space for you in our lives. And thank you for the space we have right now to remember Jesus' body and blood and just have some silent time and reflection and to remember what was given for us so that we can uh, be with you forever in heaven. Uh, thank you for uh, these elements, the, 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 the fruit of the vine and, and the, the bread that remind us of his body and blood given for us and that we can, as we, as we eat them, as we drink them, we can participate together in um, what Jesus did for us. We love you and we thank you and we give you all praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.